I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And I'm Noelle LaCroix. And this is Orgasm, the podcast from Chipperish Media where we reach for explosive inspiration. Each episode goes deep into a topic through identification, discovery, exploration, analysis, and synthesis, the ideas framework of creativity and inspiration that we hope will give us some insight into what we love and why we love it. Yes, today's orgasm is about love languages. But before we think about becoming polyglots of affection, let's do a postmortem on our last orgasm. So our last topic was darkness, where we talked about our appreciation for dark stories. So how was your dark and twisty afterglow? Uh, I had a little bit of a dark and twisty hangover, honestly. Ah. Uh, after, yeah, I mean, it still feels kind of weird to be like, yeah, I really like these dark and twisty stories where people do horrible things to each other and maybe it's really graphic and violent and all of that. But I don't know. I'm just, I'm in the space of love what you love and like, let that be okay. And really enjoy the, really enjoy the process of exploring those taboos through media as opposed to, oh, I don't know, acting out in my personal life and relationships. (laughs) I don't know. Um, (laughs) But I realized, and uh, I think you were the one to remind me that we did not talk about Orphan Black on our Mm -hmm. Dark and Twisty Story uh, episode of Orgasm. And I wonder if that's because it maybe doesn't quite fit into the dark story category. I mean, it's not like bright side-y, but I don't know. I don't know. So more defining of terms is needed, I think is what I'm saying. Mm Mm-hmm. Mhm. Yep. Yep. I'm still working on that too. I I I guess I think of Orphan Black as dark ish. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not <laughs> It's definitely it's not, not cheerful. Light and easy. It's not <laughs> cheerful, but it makes me laugh as much as it makes me gasp in horror. So, I don't know, man. I don't <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I or did know. we talk about Orphan Black? Maybe we did talk about Orphan Black. There was something else that we didn't talk about. We, we talked about Orphan Black in my spontaneous orgasm. See, I'm so lost. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you do a lot of different shows, you get confused. The movie we didn't talk about was another one that I made you watch um, that was Bird Box with Sandra Bullock. Yes, that's right. The Netflix sensation yeah. that quickly became a meme yes yes I did not talk about Bird Box because I sobbed through most of it and I feel kind of ashamed of that because it is oh honey I mean I know not not serious shame I mean I'm not gonna have like you know I'm fine. Whatever. Love what you love. Be destroyed <laughs> by whatever you care to be destroyed by. But no, that that movie was, you know, as you say, you encouraged me to watch it. And I did. And I think maybe it hit me at just the right time or just the wrong time, depending on who you ask. Because I saw a lot in that movie that maybe was not there intentionally Uh maybe it was me processing my own stuff through fiction which i mean really 
That's what fiction is for, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. But no, the first time I watched that movie, I think I was about, oh, maybe 30 minutes in. And I don't remember what happened that, like, started the waterworks. But yeah, I started to cry. And then I just cried. I just sobbed through the whole movie. And I am not going to go into all of the reasons for that (laughs) on a (laughs) podcast that's in public. I think you and I talked through it a little bit. Yeah. And I felt so bad. I'm like, I'm so sorry it made you cry so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. It's all right. In the immortal words of Carrie Fisher, I just peed less. (laughs) It was fine. No, it was good. And it was wonderful to have that experience because I don't remember the last time a story made me cry like that Mm -hmm. to the point that like I couldn't. I couldn't catch my breath. And at that point, of course, it wasn't really about the story anymore. Although, I swear to you, you put children in anything and I'm like, I'm toast. It's over (laughs) for me. I'm like, oh, God, you got children in peril. You have mothers doing like impossibly brave things and children in peril and I'm done. (laughs) Like, that's it. Yeah. So, Well, that was why you had to watch it. But... Yeah, I appreciated the emotional tenseness, the emotional difficulty of that movie a lot. But I think it was more of an intellectual puzzle for me because, Mm -hmm. like, if you like your plots explained, then don't watch Bird Box because they don't explain anything. But I kind of like the space that that opened for okay, well, how do I want to read this movie? And what am I taking away from it? And, you know, it raised a lot of really interesting questions for me. So yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting. Well, and that's something we didn't really talk about with dark stories is that a lot of times they will raise more questions than they answer. Yeah. And that is kind of the joy of it, for me, at least. Mm -hmm. It's like, what would happen if... And then we explore that, but we never really explain it or we never bring a whole lot of logic or reason into it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I think, you know, is sometimes, at least for me as an audience member, sometimes that's exactly what I need is, yeah, let's just let's just focus on how it feels as opposed Mm -hmm. to why and well wait a minute how did this happen and what are all the details involved and yeah yeah i don't know yeah well you keep on watching what you like and defining (laughs) your terms and (laughs) send me recommendations (laughs) further updates as events warrant and i know that the next time something dark and twisty comes out and it crosses your radar before it gets to mine you'll be like oh my god you have to watch this and yep Now I just know. I'm like, well, if Kelly recommends it, I'm just going to, like, I'm just a goner. It's either going to destroy me. It's going to destroy me emotionally or it's going to destroy me professionally because I will abandon all of my responsibilities so that I can just watch this thing until the very end. Yes. See, aren't you so glad you're friends with me? I love you being my enabler. It makes me so happy. You are my dark story enabler. Oh, dear. There you go. 
That sounds, <laughs> that sounds a wee bit dangerous. Like, I don't know if that's a good I don't know if I want that level of responsibility, I Noelle. I don't know. I'm backing out. I don't know what that says about me. You're stuck with me now. <laughs> Sucks to be you, Jones. <laughs> well, I was thinking about, like, the whole reflection, you know, thing from Dark Stories. And it's really funny because centering on darkness Mm. which should be scary I guess all of my thoughts really went to safety which just should explain how my brain works and the fact that nothing (laughs) makes any sense in my mind but I think like understanding the kind of dark story that I'm drawn to and I guess like the safety that I need in order to engage with a dark story Mm. is really Mm -hmm. helpful I guess it's like the story equivalent of having a safe word. Like, I like knowing my limits. Huh. I like knowing my threshold. Oh. You know? And yes. There's, there's some empowerment in that. Yes. And then the idea of safety or emotional safety, I guess, within authenticity of being able to tell someone, I really like this. And not mm-hmm. worrying about what they're going to think about me. You know, yeah. because I think the next extension of that is sharing with someone, hey, I wrote this and not worrying about what they're going to think about me. Oh, hell yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. That is a great extension of that reflection. Yeah. And so I think like within that, too, is just kind of having this. I mean, it's almost trust. Like I trust this writer to carry me through this story or I trust the person who recommended this because they know me or Mm -hmm. I trust the person I'm going to share this with because I know that they care about me. Yeah. It's just really interesting to me how darkness functions for me in terms of dark delight within the parameters of safety and trust. I love that so much because that just... Yeah, you just very succinctly (laughs) laid out for me something I do kind of intuitively, which is, all right, I know that I can engage with this, you know, this material, but not this material. Right. And I think that's a big piece of it is I know, all right, within the context of this author or this director or this production company, actually, that's something... (laughs) This is so funny, but that's something that I do with my kids when uh-huh. we'll watch a new, a new to them movie that has some really scary elements. Um, my youngest is still young enough to be genuinely concerned <laughs> by mm-hmm. tense story elements. And I know because this is a Disney movie or I know because of the you know, the people behind this movie, the kind of story this is, I know that it's going to be okay. And I have actually said to my children, you know, no, this is, this is not that kind of movie. Like the dog is going to be fine. Trust me. (laughs) It'll be fine. Nothing bad is going to happen to the dog. (laughs) (laughs) So it's interesting to think about extending that to You know, the kind of friends you take recommendations from and the kind of, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I really like trust as figuring into these dark narratives and how we engage with them and what enables us to say that we love them or we're delighted by them. Mm hmm. I think so, too. And part of that might have been me trying to grapple with how to connect darkness to love languages. <laughs> that was like, <laughs> all right, I need a transition from the afterglow to the current right, topic. Right, right. How, how, what? Sure. How? But I think that the, the common thread that runs between them is trust, right? Sure. Because love languages really, which we're going to talk about, like trust is the foundation of all of that. So right. with that with that loose thread, I'll move us into today's topic um, because I chose the idea of love languages for today's discussion because it comes up in conversation all the time and because I love a good framework. And while I don't <laughs> agree with all of the official love languages structure, it's a layered and complicated concept that I really enjoy puzzling over and one that I've learned a lot from. And I like the fact that your love languages can change and be contextual and learning about them can yeah. help with a lot of different relationships, including the one you have with yourself. So if you're not familiar with the love languages, this, the five love languages is a framework developed by Dr. Gary Chapman. Chapman's theory says that there are five love languages or five ways that everyone gives and receives love. Most people have a primary and a secondary love language. So two main ways that they express love and feel love when it's expressed in those ways. So we're going to do a quick summary of the five love languages just to make sure we're all on the same page before we get into our discussion. Cool. Yeah. Yep. So the first love language, and these are in no particular order. <laughs> the first love language is words of affirmation, which is not just the words, I love you, but the specific why of I love you. So unsolicited praise or encouragement, anything that is meaningful to you, anything that deepens your connection to this person through words. And the flip side of this is that harsh words, verbal abuse, insults, or empty, meaningless words can be especially hurtful to someone whose primary love language is words of affirmation. So it's not just that you receive deeply the positive, you also receive the negative equally deeply or potently. The second love language is quality time. So this is uninterrupted time doing things together or just hanging out together. This includes quality conversation. So real talking and really listening. It's very important that you're listening actively and that you're listening without interruption. This also includes shared hobbies or activities. So anything that deepens your connection through sharing time and conversation, which I think was really interesting that conversation falls in the quality time box and not the words of affirmation box. So if this is your primary love language, then canceled plans, having someone be distracted when you're together, having someone not listening, 
or just neglect in general in terms of the relationship are especially hurtful because you feel that lack of quality time is a lack of love. So the third love language is acts of service. And this is one of my favorites. (laughs) Uh, When someone does something to help you, like sharing a task or running an errand or taking care of something that has to be done for you, especially when you're tired or stressed out. And for someone whose primary love language is acts of service, things like broken promises or creating more work or laziness can be especially hurtful. Um, One of the hardest things for folks whose primary love language is acts of service is saying that you'll take care of something, you'll take care of this task, and then not following through. Mm. Follow through. Very important. (laughs) The fourth love language is receiving gifts. And this is really about the meaning and thought behind a gift, not about buying things. This is not about materialism. It's not about the brand or how much the gift cost. It's about how well do you know me? Or were you thinking about me? So if you go on a trip, and you're thinking about this person, and you bring them back a souvenir, that is going to communicate love to the person whose primary love language is gifts. On the flip side, if you forget like a birthday or an anniversary, or you give them a gift that is thoughtless or meaningless or not something that they care about, then that's going to feel like the opposite of love to them. And the last love language is physical touch, which is not only sex, but also platonic love. So we've got, you know, Hugging, kissing, holding hands, cuddling. This is another one of my favorites. And especially for kids, this can mean things like lots of hugs or high fives, roughhousing, tickling, if your kids are into that, um, or just sitting close to someone, just going to, you know, anything, an event and sitting close to your friends as opposed to being more spread out. That can fulfill that physical touch um, or that can speak that physical touch language to someone. So on the flip side of this, I mean, you clearly have lack of physical touch, right? That's Mm -hmm. a big one. Or having to ask for physical connection. And this is where I want to say that physical abuse of any kind or crossing those physical boundaries that you have in a relationship, that is always harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, always. It's never okay. For someone whose primary love language is physical touch, something like crossing a physical boundary or moving into a space that was physically abusive might be something that a relationship could not come back from. And I say that from personal experience. Obviously, not going to tell anybody how to do their relationship or, you know, how to show love, but if hurting someone, hurting is never loving. Right. So <laughs> keep that in mind. Yeah, and even on the lighter side of that, intentionally using physicality in a way that person doesn't like, like if they don't oh, like to be mm-hmm. tickled, and you tickle oh God. them. Yeah. Is especially, it's it's not just going to annoy this person. It is going to be emotionally hurtful for that person. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that can have a greater impact for someone whose primary love language is touch. Just like for somebody whose primary love language is words of affirmation, calling that someone a name or telling them that they're, you know, using using some sort of negative word against them um, in a moment of anger (laughs) could be the end of your relationship. I can speak from experience on that one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, you call me a name and like, I don't love it, but, you know, we can come back from that. <laughs> like, that'd be all right. I get it. I say shitty things when I'm in a bad mood, too. So according to the framework, these love languages are part of every relationship. And we talked about that a little bit already. It's This isn't just a framework for couples or people in romantic relationships. This is also friend relationships and parental relationships and also professional relationships. Gary Chapman has written several books about the love languages, and there's a quiz on his website at fivelovelanguages.com. That's the number five lovelanguages.com if you want to learn more. And the love languages have also become a pop culture reference as well as just being used casually in conversation. (laughs) And so I had to share my favorite version (laughs) because this was posted on Twitter by Joy Clarkson at Join Us the Brave. And I actually retweeted it. And I was like, look, y'all, if anybody wants to propose to me, here are the five steps. Because I just thought this was (laughs) so cute. Like, I I love when something is taken and interpreted and translated anyway. And this was just especially delightful. She wrote the five love languages grad student edition. Acts of service. I proofread your footnotes. Words of affirmation. Your footnotes were flawless. Quality time. Let's go spend some time together in the library. Gifts. <laughs> I bought you a very old book. Touch, you may touch the very old book. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So, anyway. (laughs) So, with that over... Anyway. (laughs) It's an illustrative (laughs) example of love languages in graduate school, which is one of my love languages. (laughs) There you go. Yes. (laughs) So, with that overview, let's get into the ideas. Woo! (laughs) So for identification, um, we start by defining our terms, but we also kind of share how we first interacted with the idea. And so for me, I learned about the love languages by accidentally finding the parenting version at the bookstore. It's not the kind of book I would normally have read. Dr. Chapman is a marriage counselor and a pastor. And his original Love Languages book was written for married couples. He also wrote a version just for men from the husband perspective. And I'm not even going to begin to unpack that. But the Love Languages (laughs) (laughs) framework is highly heteronormative um, and often taught as a church workshop. So the likelihood of me encountering it as an unmarried bisexual heathen was pretty low. And... (laughs) I I struggled with a lot of the book because of the author's religious perspective, which is fine. Like, it's his perspective. Um, it was just something that didn't align with me personally. However, 
part of scholarship is learning from people that you don't necessarily agree with or don't agree with fully and still recognizing the value of good ideas, still Mm -hmm. seeing the value of frameworks and contexts that don't align with your own paradigms. And I do believe there's a lot of value in the idea of love languages. So I took from the book what helped me and I just ignored the rest. And it helped me a lot as a parent because my son's personality is very, very different than mine. And we give and receive love in very different ways. And so, like, I noticed once he had learned to read, you know, I would leave him little special notes and I'd write him little cards and things that I thought would make him feel really loved, you know. And I would find them forgotten on the floor, crumpled up in the trash. And like, (laughs) so that hurt my feelings because I thought, he didn't care. I felt rejected or, you know, like it just wasn't, it wasn't working the way it was intended. And it did nothing to make him feel loved, right? Because that wasn't what worked for him. Mm -hmm. And so reading the Love Languages book helped me realize that words of affirmation is my primary love language, but it's not his. And so it helped me understand that what he needed was quality time and physical touch, So, for example, me playing Plants vs. Zombies, the video game, and being the (laughs) second player that puts butter on the zombies while he beats the level and, like, (laughs) learning how to do that with him, like, spending that time on something Mm -hmm. that he was interested in and chasing him around the house and shooting him with his Nerf gun, like, that kind of physical touch, that was what spoke love to him. And now that he's almost 20, I still try to revisit the love languages with him just by asking him, you know, hey, kid, like, what are the things that I do that make you feel loved? Yeah. Other than like paying for things. <laughs> um, and, and it's Acts not like service. we have. Yes, right. <laughs> it's not like Acts we have these, these deep emotional conversations, but. I try to make a point of like setting things down and giving him a hug when I see him and Mm -hmm. still playfully hitting him with a roll of wrapping paper or throwing a ball across the room at him and trying to give time and attention for him to share his hobbies and his interests with me because that is what speaks love to him. Yeah. And it's hard to do because his interests are nowhere near mine and that that kind of playful physicality is absolutely not my go-to. But the love languages really helped me reframe some of my parenting challenge to think about things in terms of giving and expressing love and learning how to speak the language that he needed to hear. So I do oh, think it, it can be really helpful. Yeah. And that's something that Dr. Chapman is really clear about in all of his writing is that it's not if you have a primary love language that you speak and you receive, that doesn't mean that the other four are not accessible to you. You can learn to speak and receive love in these other ways. Interestingly, I was also introduced to the love languages through parenting, although I was recommended the book by a friend the there are several love languages books there's one there's the original one that's written with um heterosexual married couples in mind and then there's the five love languages of children which is written 
obviously with parenting in mind, I was recommended the original book by a friend who a heterosexual married friend who found the book really helpful um, in her relationship. But we met each other through parenting circles. Mm -hmm. And the idea of love languages immediately clicked with me just right off the bat. I could not get through the book, though. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the religious piece for me. I was deeply offended by the heterosexism of it, especially with respect to the quizzes. So in the copy of the book that I had, which I think was an early edition, I don't know if things have changed since then, there were two quizzes. There was a love languages quiz for husbands, and there was one for wives. And I went through both of them because why the hell not? And... <laughs> That's how I know I'm bisexual and agender. You're welcome. And (laughs) I went, so I went through both of them and they were very similar. I mean, they were very, very similar with one exception. The quizzes seem to suggest that men like sex and women don't. Mm. And I was like, I'm out. That's it. (laughs) I can't. I can't. If that is your framework, if that is your perspective on life, you're wrong. And yes. <laughs> no, yes. if that is your perspective on life, I mean, we will not be friends and that's okay. <laughs> but I still think it's a fantastic framework. If for no other reason, then it really, really helps to explain why it's possible to not feel loved by someone who you know intellectually cares about you. Yes, I, I I totally agree with that. And I think it's really funny that we both came to the framework through parenting. For this discussion and for the discovery part, I really wanted to think about the love languages outside of parenting. Yeah. Because that was really the only application I had intentionally used them for. And so I really wanted to start thinking about love languages in the context of the people I'm closest with today, right? And then also for future relationships and self-growth and development and all that bullshit. All that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. But, But really, because the more I understand about how I receive love, the better I can communicate that to a friend or to a partner. And the more I know about my friend or partner's love languages, the better I can express love and hopefully make them feel loved. Yeah. Because if I love you, I want to express that in a way that is meaningful to you. And also, like, if the only thing that is ever going to make a person feel loved is me watching a football game and or wrestling and or (laughs) doing the dishes every night by seven o'clock, it's just not going to work out. Right? Like... We probably need to know that up front. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are good conversations to have. have right at the beginning, right? <laughs> like, so it's it's just really good information. And I like the framework because I really like the idea that love is both an emotion and a verb, but love as a feeling is not the same thing as love as a verb. So if I say I love you and I'm only talking about how I feel, but I'm not showing that, then Mm -hmm. I'm not loving you in terms of action. 
Yeah. And so I think the framework can give you a way to action. And I, and I do really like that. And that, like you said, that's one of Dr. Chapman's points that I agree with that just because you love someone or they love you or they love you doesn't mean that one or either of you will feel loved. And he talks yeah. about that in terms of filling the other person's emotional tank and like being aware of your own emotional tank, the way you are the fuel gauge in your car. And so we all run stronger and feel more secure in our relationships when our batteries are charged and our tanks are full of love. So I, I like that. So that was kind of what, what drove me into the discovery process. Yeah. It's funny. With respect to discovery, I came to this topic feeling kind of like, all right, I've got this down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not that I'm not that I am the perfect parent or the perfect partner or lover or friend or any of that. Not at all. There are plenty of folks I love who I don't know how to love Mm -hmm. (laughs) because, you know, I feel it, but I don't know. I I don't know that they're receiving it. Um, They're that they're receiving that love the way that I that I mean it or that I'm expressing it in a way that is effective for them. Mm -hmm. What I was really interested in with this whole process of, you know, diving into this framework that I feel like I know pretty well at this point is where do certain things fall, you know, certain actions or certain behaviors, where do they fall in these five buckets, essentially? And the funny thing was you and I had a conversation about that, that like long conversations where we're you know, back and forth, and I'm listening to you, and I'm, you know, we're processing together, and you're listening to me, and then, you know, and I'm reflecting your feelings back, and we're doing all the active listening, you know. <laughs> you put on your big ears and really listen to the other person. <laughs> Sorry, that was a Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> reference for anyone who's a big fan of Teacher's Pet the way I am. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> We were, you and I were talking about this and we were having the conversation about, well, wait, is that words of affirmation? And Dr. Chapman says, no, that kind of deep conversation is quality time. Mm -hmm. And of course, now I'm like, oh, well, yes, of course, because part of what makes that feel so fulfilling is I am really tuned into you as you're speaking you know, and vice versa. So it's not really about the words, it's about the time and attention. So sure, okay, I see how that's quality time and not words of affirmation. But I'm interested in the way that these things overlap, because I don't identify strongly at all with gifts, giving or receiving. That's not something that is important to me. But I realized fairly recently that I often speak love through gifts by giving gifts that are acts of service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I will, you know, if you are going through a really difficult time or, you know, you have just had a baby or there's been a death in the family or something like that, I am likely to be the person who sends you a box of shelf stable, you know, pantry staples Mm -hmm. that will stock your kitchen a little bit while things are really emotionally hard. And I guess that's a gift, but it's also an act of service. Yeah. So 
that overlap. That's really like I'm just zooming in on the Venn diagram of love languages and how do they intersect? Intersectional love languages. Intersectional love languages. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I'm really glad you brought up gifts because that's going to move me into exploration a little bit because to explore this idea, I went to the website to take the quiz. Yeah. I, so I took the quiz like in the book. And again, I read the parenting version of the book a long time ago. So it's a little different. And I, and I took it online probably. I think I did this again when my son was a teenager, like revisiting, you know, love languages for the teen brain, which is a whole yeah. new thing. Yeah. And for m- kids, it's broken up by age group. Yes. Too, which yes. is really yeah. cool. Anyway, yeah, it's really sorry. Cool. No, 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 it's good. <laughs> and so at, at that time, and for all of those years, my primary love language was words of affirmation. And my secondary was gifts, receiving gifts. And it was never about the actual gift because someone who I don't feel loves me if they give me something awesome it is not going to make me feel loved but someone I love could give me a rock and I would feel (laughs) loved (laughs) I'm sorry I'm laughing because I gave you a rock (laughs) you did well you gave me a crystal that's very different and it had but it had meaning and it's fucking rock (laughs) it's a symbol I'm saying so like this is a real thing no, for me. no, it is. I just I love that the example <laughs> that you pulled out of the ether was, a rock. was like was a rock because the first thing that I sent you, I think, was a rock. Anyway, I would not go have thought on. of it as a rock. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so but that's the thing is like it takes on a different meaning, right? Because it's the thought yes. behind it. Yes. So I was really, really curious if that had changed. Yeah. I mean, it's been probably 10 years since I took it. So anyway, I went to the website and I took the quiz twice. Once from, and and there's different versions. When you take it, it will ask, are you in a relationship or are you single? And so I wanted to kind of get a handle on, are my love languages different in a friendship context versus a romantic context? Yeah. So I took the quiz once from the perspective of being in a relationship thinking about the questions in terms of my person. And then again, from the perspective of being single, thinking about the questions in terms of my friends. Yeah. And because I am a scholar nerd, I wrote out these as research questions because that is what you do. I can confirm. I can (laughs) confirm. They are written out in full scholarly glory. Yes. So She's a champ. <laughs> RQ1, which would be research question one, have my love language changed? And RQ1A, if so, why? <laughs> and then RQ2, are my love languages different in a romantic relationship than they are in a platonic relationship? RQ2A, if so, why? So this is what I was really just curious about. Okay, so in the friendship land, right, through the friendship lens... In a platonic relationship, then words of affirmation is still first, but it tied with quality time. And so they, I got equal points. Yeah. So my primary and secondary are equal in terms of words and time, which is hilarious because when I think of quality time, I think of conversation. So 
whatever. Um, <laughs> very <laughs> closely followed by acts of service, which only had one point less. So I'm like, all right, cool, cool, cool. So there's basically three. And receiving gifts was very low. But what shocked me was physical touch. I had literally had a zero. And I took the quiz twice. Like I did it again just to check mm-hmm. myself because I, I don't, I'm not opposed to physical touch. Like you want to hug me? I hugged a guy at a sci-fi con just because he was wearing a t-shirt that said free hugs. Like I'm cool with that. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but it doesn't, I don't think it's how I would primarily express love yeah. to a friend. So yeah. it made sense. Mm-hmm. But when I took the quiz again, from the romantic relationship perspective, words of affirmation were top again, but only one point off from physical touch. And then right there was quality time. Interesting. So, sorry. Yeah. Physical touch is absent with friends, but with a partner is practically tied with words of affirmation that is fascinating to me yeah me too and so in any close relationship words and time matter most to me yeah but in a romantic relationship then there's this additional layer in that venn diagram for physical touch which i did not define as sex when i took the quiz so it was it's just fascinating to me that this is my score yeah, well, the quiz is very, I mean, it's it's a series of either or questions. Right. It's, you know, it's it's a would you rather game. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's would you rather. Would you rather. Yeah, it is. It's would you rather. True. Right. It is a, it's a, it's a classic game of would you rather. But the questions, you know, you mentioned sex. I don't think, I'm not sure sex comes up in the quiz even when you're talking about a partner, I think there was one question that was like, I feel loved when my partner and I are physically intimate or when we do this. But I don't, uh-huh. maybe, but yeah, it was never explicit yeah. that but it was it's sex. never, yeah. 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 So it's not like, and I only mention this because it's not the kind of quiz where you might be reading in or you might be, you know. No, I mean, it's pretty explicit. It's like, would you rather have a hug or a souvenir from your partner's trip? Like, exactly. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's would you rather the love language. It's would edition. you rather. <laughs> yeah. It's would you rather. Which honestly, okay. So I took both quizzes also mm-hmm. because again, why the hell not? And I was fascinated that with some of the either or, you know, some of the would you rather, it was clear. Like it was, oh yes, I would much rather. Uh have this than that and sometimes it was like meh both of those sound pretty nice I don't know that I have a strong preference yeah but what was interesting for me was that in the platonic space and the partnered space romantic space I don't even know Uh, (laughs) I don't know what word to use there yeah with my my when I took when I took the quiz as a partnered person thinking about my partner and when I took the quiz thinking as a single person thinking about my friends, my results were very similar mm-hmm. and they were really surprising to me. Actually, physical touch came out on top for both, mm-hmm. which is not what I would expect. I mean, when I think about it now, 
I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I guess that makes sense. But I was really surprised by that. Mm -hmm. And then my secondary in both cases was quality time. And gifts, my big zero with friends. Your zero was touch, mine was gifts. (laughs) Gifts from friends. I'm like, that's nice, but I don't. I don't feel any more loved receiving Mm -hmm. a gift. And I think that's what it is. It's not that it's not that you are adverse to touch or I'm adverse to gifts. Although we could talk about that. Uh, (laughs) I have a strange relationship with gifts, but it's not that you don't touch people. It's just that that's not how you give and receive love. You give and receive touch for reasons other than love. Yes. And, you know, I think that that, I think that it's, it's easy with a framework like this to get kind of bunched up in, oh, well, but this, you know, I got a zero for this, or I just got a one for this. Does that mean, you know, does that mean something about me? Or does that mean, you know, it's not important? It doesn't, I don't think that it's that deep. <laughs> I mean, we all <laughs> give, like really, like we all give and receive love in all of these ways, right? It's just which way, like if I want to be absolutely 100% sure that my person knows that I love them, knowing what their primary love languages are, is going to be huge. Yes. So that I'm not, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I think about that too. Like, Going back to the example with my son, right? Like, I'm going to, if I love you, at some point, you're probably going to get words from me. <laughs> it's just going I to love happen. you. We need to have words. Right. Yes. <laughs> you're probably going to get a card or a text mm-hmm. message or a whatever. Like, there's going mm-hmm. to be words pouring out of me because that is how I roll. And if I'm giving words and, and, like the relationship isn't going the way that I would want it to go, or like if I'm not feeling loved in return, then normally it's it's really easy to think, well, this person doesn't love me back, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this really gives you a framework to reframe that idea to be like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. person A, you know, changes the oil in the car every single month on time to show love for person B. And person B is like, huh? What? Like, but you never watch any of the stuff I like. So, like, it's mm-hmm. just really helpful for that. Um, and while we're talking about the quizzes, I think it could also be t- helpful to talk about other ways to figure out your love languages. Yes. If the quizzes don't cut it, because, you know, they are pretty simple. And and I did some Googling on this, and Dr. Chapman and, and some of other folks kind of had three big recommendations for other ways to figure out your love languages. So the first is to think about how you give love. Um, we don't always receive it the way we give it, but generally speaking, we do. So think mm-hmm. about if you, like, how do you express love for the people you care about? That may be your love language. The other way is to think about what you complain about most. So like if, if you were, I don't know, that sounds like hilarious. I love that. I love that because it hits me right in the feels. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. But like if you're like, well, you know, I, I really love 
spending two hours watching this movie and cuddling and this person will never watch a movie and cuddle me or whatever. Like you, in thinking about what makes you unhappy, you could identify a love language that's not being met. And, And then the third way is to go through a process of elimination. So you would think about like, which one of these would you, could you most easily give up and still feel loved? Yeah. And then, like, so you can go through that process to say, like, nope, I can't live without words. Then words is going to be your primary, you know. So there are other ways to figure it out besides reading the book and or taking the quizzes. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And then once you know your love languages, you can start to analyze them. Yeah. So for analysis, like, I, we've talked a lot about why we like the love languages framework. But of course, the way that it's structured, like the official framework or whatever, is frustrating for me sometimes because to me, they're layered. Like one of them bleeds into another. These are not five clear cut categories. And there's also a lot of nuance around how to classify things. So Mm -hmm. if someone braids my hair for me, is that an act of service? Or is it quality time because we're spending that time together? Or is it physical touch because their hands are in my hair? D, all of the above. <laughs> right? So when Sorry, you try to I don't, like, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to answer these quiz questions. And I'm like, but, but, like, but. <laughs> yeah. And trying to yeah. think about it in my own mind. I'm like, well, but. So I think that there's still a lot to analyze. Like, you're not just going to get a clear answer and then. This is how I give love and this is how you give love. And okay, right. we're great. And I was thinking about this too. Like we podcast together and friends have recorded and sent me audio files and I've done the same for them to some extent. And is recording an audio file words of affirmation or a gift or an act of service? I don't know how to yeah. classify it. Yeah. Or is it quality time? Or Right. Because the you gift know, of because, presence. I mean, it's not. It's tricky. Yeah, it's tricky because, like, I know that, you know, you and I have sent things like audio files to each other in the past. And it's not, it's tricky because it's like I spend the time Mm -hmm. to record this for you and then I send it to you. Like, I almost want to call it quality time, except that we're not spending the time together because I'm recording in my car at midnight my time (laughs) and you're listening at, you know, like you're listening in the morning. Right. You know what I mean? Like what, where does that fit? But I guess it doesn't matter. I guess it doesn't matter as long as you know I love you. Yes, exactly. But, but in, if you're trying to classify it, so like, if I have <laughs> if I have a medical procedure the next morning and yeah. somebody keeps me company that night, whether in person yeah. or in text or whatever, and they're saying things to make me laugh or to reassure me, is that mm. words of affirmation or is it quality time or is it an act of service? I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, words, as I understand it, words of affirmation is specifically like, Kelly Jones, PhD, you are doing a great job. You've got this podcasting thing 
in the bag. I mean, you just like <laughs> knock it out of the park week after week after week. And I'm just oh so <laughs> impressed. Like that's words of affirmation. Okay. This is where I, I think I disagree with the framework a little bit. Really? Yes. Because words obviously are my thing. Mm-hmm. But it's not praise for me. Not okay. not necessarily. And a lot of times praise can be disingenuous or empty or just feels like Oh yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. not it's not praise for me as much as it is meaning. Yeah. Like a carefully constructed oh, message yeah. something written intentionally to delight me or make me laugh but it is using words to show you know me and that's why i used to say words feel like a gift like that's how it feels to me i love it yeah yeah so yeah. i don't i don't like it just being praise like i don't i don't think that that's where words fit like really well then here's what i wonder i wonder if maybe words of affirmation are not your are not one of your primary love languages because I'm sure there are folks out there for whom hearing you know good job you really you really rocked that you did great like just hearing those words helps them receive that love and affection from the people in their lives whereas for someone else you know I mean we we have had conversations, you and I specifically have had conversations where I've said, fuck you. And it's meant I love you. Well, yeah. Because it's, <laughs> you know, so, but here's, so, so here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if maybe there are people for whom that doesn't work because what is important to hear is, I love you. You're the best. Great job. You know, whatever. And you don't identify with it because that's not your experience. Yeah. I mean, I I certainly want to hear I love you and I always appreciate good job, but it's not so much about praise so much as it is words with meaning, but, but it is yeah. the words. It really is. I mean, fastest way to my heart is a handwritten note. Like that's just <laughs> how it's going to be, you know? So I shouldn't tell you to fuck off when what I really mean is you're the best. <laughs> No, no, no. A carefully crafted fuck you when I know exactly what it means delights me. Yeah, but it's it's words in context, you know, and it and it yeah. always has been. I just think that it it works a little differently for me than it works in the, you know, in the framework. And it, so again, it's layered and it's nuanced. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's just and and I like trying to unpack that. So trying to define my terms you know, what What do mm-hmm. I mean when I say words? What do I mean when I say quality time? Totally. You know, yep. it, it that, that kind of stuff matters. Like for me, quality time is maybe, sometimes it can even be the frequency of words. Like somebody checking in with me periodically or talking to somebody every day, mm-hmm. doing things together that we're both interested in. And like... Mm-hmm. Sometimes in the framework, it'll talk about spending quality time. Like if one of the people enjoys the thing and the other one is just doing it as an act of love. Uh And I think that's great. But I think after a while that would wear me down. Yeah. So it, 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 I, it's the common interest. Like if we can talk about a book or an idea or a show for an hour and we both like it, 
that is going yeah. to light me up. But if another person is just tolerating it because they're trying yeah. to express affection, I that's going to make me feel bad. Yeah. Well, as someone who does a lot of that or certain, I mean, I certainly have done a lot of that in the past of this is important to the person I'm with. So I'm going to spend the time to do this with them or talk about this with them. Mm-hmm. It's it definitely I mean, it's love as a verb, right? It's right. like I am choosing to be here with you in this moment. But if that's the only way that that ever happens or if that's the only way that this person can feel my love, like it's not I can't sustain it. You know, like I can go to the occasional concert or event or movie or whatever that I'm not really into because, you know, that's cool. Like, it's not my favorite, but I'll do it for you. And then we'll flip flop. And, you know, at some point there will be some like super contemporary, you know, Mm -hmm. avant-garde ballet. And I'm going to be like, oh, my God, go with me to this thing. And, you know, my person will be like, "Uh, okay, I guess, you know, (laughs) like you're really into it. (laughs) I think it becomes... I think that becomes a problem when that's all you ever do. And the only way that you can ever show someone, you know, whether it's a friend or a partner or a child, that you love them is by just gritting your teeth and bearing doing that thing that they really love. Yeah. Uh, it's not, uh, that's not sustainable. Yeah. It's hard. And, and I, yeah. And I, I mean, that was a lot of parenting. For me, and it was really hard, but I'm willing to yeah. do that because it's my kid. But it's kind of helpful to know that, like, as a adult, if I'm having an adult relationship with somebody and we don't have things in common, it's going to be really hard for me to sustain it, mm-hmm. you know, at, at a close level, yeah. because I'm going to want to spend quality time doing something that's interesting. Like if someone is like, Kelly, I really, really want to be friends with you. Let's go hang out. And I'm like, great. And they're like, but I don't like coffee shops and or bookstores. I'm going to be like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, that's all I got. Like, (laughs) You're like, wow, we're going to have to get real creative. We're like scraping the bottom of the barrel of Kelly's interests here. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about orgies? (laughs) What do you want (laughs) to It's going to be really tough to find common ground there, you know. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. Yeah. Well, and have you had those friendships? Because I have. Where you're like, you're like a few years in and you realize, oh, my God. Yeah. The only thing we have in common is that we have children who are the same age. Yes. Ooh, it's rough. It's yeah. rough. One of the, but you know, because you brought up parenting, I feel the need to share the one piece of unsolicited parenting advice that mm-hmm. I got when I think when my oldest was really tiny, and I I love this piece of advice, and it's as much as possible find things to do with your child that you also enjoy. Yes. And it's so, it is so obvious, but also so difficult because so much of parenting is, you know, I am going to be present for this tiny human who did not ask to be here. And maybe we click and maybe we don't, but... It's my job to be present and loving 
towards them as they grow into adulthood. So as much as possible, like finding those things yeah, where you do, you can come together and, and because, because they will feel it, you know, they'll feel that love and connection from you and you'll feel it too. Mm-hmm. So if you're out there struggling with parenting, I, uh, I feel you yes. and you got this. Oh, I never did my analysis, which was really just piggybacking off of your analysis uh-huh. and, you know, bringing bringing it back to something I said earlier about, you know, the love languages overlapping and what feels like and maybe maybe this is just a, you know, related like the languages are related. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> maybe some of them are related that you can you can give you can express love through physical touch in a way that is also an act of service if uh, I uh, maybe overdid it at dance class (laughs) Um, and I'm really sore. A massage from someone I love is like a fantastic act of service, but it's also that bond through physical touch. So there are there and I mean, and there are overlaps forever and ever and ever amen especially i think when you talk about physical touch because touch is really fraught yes for a lot of people yes absolutely myself included and you know depending on what your experiences are around touch and you know maybe being touched when you didn't want to be that can be a really tricky space to enter into vis-a-vis you know, giving and receiving love. And I think I said earlier that when I took the quizzes, I was really surprised to see touch at the top of my list mm-hmm. for both, you know, both my my partner relationship and my friend relationships. And part of that for me is that I am very guarded around touch. I have had some experiences of really not, really not enjoying being touched and trying to sort out the difference between like, okay, this, like, I know this is, this is preschool language right here, but like good touching versus bad touching. (laughs) And Uh like, does, is this, is this a way like, is this a loving touch from someone I trust? And do I know that it is, you know, it's coming to me in a way that is communicating love to me mm-hmm. versus this is someone who wants something from me or wants to control me or whatever, you know, yeah, whatever the case may be. So, I mean, it's tricky. It's really, really tricky. And I feel like the more we analyze and the more we dive into these different ways of giving and receiving love, the more I want like footnotes <laughs> and like <laughs> caveats. It's like, well, yes. in this case, um, because so many of the languages go together and I'm going to tell a story that's kind of, it's, it's not really related at all, but it's related to language and how languages can overlap in ways where, you know, the the understanding is still there because, right, that's the most important thing is that we're communicating with each other. So 
My mother is bilingual. My mother speaks English and Spanish and for many years did a lot of her work in Spanish. And at the time of this encounter, uh, we were living in a fairly diverse neighborhood and our next door neighbors, I don't remember... I don't remember which of them it was. I don't remember whose parent it was, but parents were visiting our adult next door neighbors from, oh no, I'm going to forget now. I think it was Brazil and not Portugal from a Portuguese speaking country. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like such an ugly American. I'm like, where were they from? They spoke Portuguese. (laughs) So anyway, so this, the, the father of our neighbor spoke only Portuguese. My mother is fluent in Spanish, they were able to have a conversation. Oh, cool. And understand each other well enough. You know, Spanish and Portuguese have many, many similarities. So they were, there was enough in common there that they could carry on a conversation. And I think that anytime we are talking about communication, it's fun to look for those overlaps. Mm -hmm. And I think that that certainly applies to love languages. You know, like you were saying, is braiding your hair, physical touch, quality time, an act of service? It, maybe yes and. Like, and maybe it's all of them. And maybe it depends on maybe which one it is, which one or which ones it is, depends on the love language of the person who is doing it for you. Yeah, maybe so. And I think that's that's another thing to keep in mind, too, is how you give and receive love, but so to the other person, you know, and and having that awareness mm-hmm. to realize, oh, this person is speaking love to me right now. Yes. You know, which is, yes. is such a great transition into synthesis in terms of how does yes. this topic relate to our yes. ongoing search for authenticity? Like, what do we want to keep thinking about? <laughs> and for me, like reflecting on the things that make me feel love was fascinating. And it also helps me think about who I want on my one inch square and why. Like who do I want in my closest circle and why? And, and I've spent time reflecting on like times I have felt genuinely loved. Like when have Mm -hmm. I truly felt loved? And it's, it's really interesting to see where those experiences fall in terms of the framework, because it's all contextual upon the person who was expressing love. But it's also helpful to realize that not feeling loved by someone doesn't mean I'm lacking or that there's something wrong with me. We literally may not speak the same language. And I think that there's a lot of power and application here. I have a friend couple who are very, very happily married. They've been very happily married for 10 years. And I asked one day, I was like, all right, how do you make this work so well? Like, please tell me your secret because I'm intrigued. Like, what's the deal? Don't leave out the good parts. Tell me about the good parts. How do you do this? And they actually used the love languages like very early in their relationship and, and very intentionally. And even down to the point of having these very specific conversations. I need this from you. I need this from you. And then like intentionally giving that to the other person. And luckily, like one of their primaries each overlap, but their secondaries don't. And so Mm -hmm. because they have that awareness and they each 
agree to intentionally act in the language that they don't speak, like they have a really great relationship. And I find that fascinating. Um, and I think it's equally applicable in, in friendship space and in parenting space and in all kinds of other relationships. But I think the thing I want to keep pondering the most is is physical touch because it was just fascinating to me that it was tied with words in a romantic space and non-existent in a platonic space. Yeah. And I'm not touch shy. Like, I'm not at all. Yeah. I don't object to it at all. But it's not... I guess my primary way of giving and receiving platonic love. But I'm just really curious then about the relationship between sex and love, because I don't think you have to have one in order to enjoy the other. And, Mm -hmm. you know, where, why then physical touch is so important in a romantic space to me. So I don't know the answers to that yet. I just thought it was fascinating. And it's something that I really want to keep thinking about. It is really fascinating. The relationship between physical touch, the love language, and sex as something that can exist in a relationship where there's love, can exist in a relationship where there's not love, and doesn't have to exist in a relationship where there's love. Like, it's a fascinating anything I say is going to sound dirty at this point. I was going to say point of entry, but then I was like, no. No, that's not good. Because non-penetrative <laughs> sex is also a thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've lost the thread of our conversation because now well, I'm okay, just thinking no, about... Well, okay, no, I will take that and complicate it further. <laughs> right? Oh, all right, how it. about this? How about okay. sex without physical touch at all, sex with words in sexting? Is that... What? Is it quality what? time? Is it... What is that? Enacting physical... Okay. Like... I, it opens okay, a whole right. world of possibilities that I don't think the five love languages were built to support. <laughs> Kelly Jones, PhD. Yes, ma'am. Dr. Kelly Jones. I am going to need a five lust languages oh. framework. <laughs> Please and my thank you. God. Oh, my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. <laughs> right now? Chipperish after dark. No, that's your homework. Dude, I was going to do it as a spontaneous orgasm. All right. Oh, damn. You're easy. If you can give me a framework right off the bat. (laughs) No warm up. I think I can. I think I can. Okay. All right. Let me see if I can do this. All right. Hit me. Five lust languages. Yeah. Okay. Words of affirmation. Words of arousal. Words of arousal. Sorry. Yes. No, that totally works. Words of titillation. That's a better no, I think, phonic. No, I think, really? I think okay. words of arousal will work. Fair. Fair. Well, and and wordplay is foreplay, which is totally valid. <laughs> yes. Yes. And sometimes foreplay is the main event, yes. depending on. Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. Sorry. Go. Words of arousal. That works. Quality time. I'm going to leave as is because don't just kiss me. Kiss me for an hour. God. Right? <laughs> yeah. That works. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. I, and I think there's actually two. There, I think there's really something to quality time in terms of shared intimacy in the time, if you think about sex, the time before, during, and after. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave quality time within that. Or, yeah, or just time and attention. Yeah. You oh. know, however, <laughs> however much time you need. So we'll we'll rename quality time to undivided attention. Oh, I like that. Okay. Undivided attention. Undivided attention. Yeah. So we have words of arousal <laughs> and undivided attention. And Damn. oh, well, okay. So receiving gifts. I mean, <laughs> there is a a varied and fascinating market for all kinds of fabulous sex presents. So, yeah, we'll 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 leave gifts in there as they are. Because, damn. <laughs> Could also be... Now, see, I wonder if that can expand to include, like, oh, I read this article about this technique, this thing that you can do. Want to try it? Like, I'm willing to try this if I would put that in quality that time. Just, see, all right, okay. Yep. The framework is busted. The framework is busted. <laughs> I would put that in quality time because you also spent time okay. researching it. But then sure. if you sent the article to me with a really crafty, sexy message, it would go in words. <laughs> okay. I like this. Yeah. This is awesome. This works. Okay. 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 okay All right. Okay. All right. Now, okay. Here's a Acts gift. service. Wait, no, I'm not done with gifts. I'm sorry. <laughs> ah, you're not I'm done, not with, done gifts. with gifts. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. So okay. being read to for me is incredibly sexy. And so a book, Interesting. and it wouldn't even have to be a collection of erotica. I mean, a certain curated collection of poetry could hit the mark here, but a book could work as both gifts and words in a sexual oh, context. Fascinating. Okay. Acts, Acts of, of service. All right. It's just my favorite. <laughs> yes. But I have a harder time with this one. Like, I struggle Why? with this because enthusiastic <laughs> consent, man. So mm-hmm. I don't want, even if someone was willing to do something that I liked and they were willing uh-huh. to do it as an act of love, if they weren't truly into it, I couldn't be like, I, it wouldn't work for me. So I think it would have to be an act of service that it, it wouldn't be like on there. I don't like this list. It would just be on there. You enjoy this and I'm okay with it. So I will do this for you list on the that's cool with me it's not my favorite but I'll do it for you yeah list yeah <laughs> like I'm cool with that and, but it's not mm-hmm. my favorite thing or okay like oh look we can use the book in there and still keep this podcast friendly so maybe reading out loud is not someone's favorite thing but they also don't mind it but they're going to yeah. read that book that is going to get me there and that then becomes an act of service, an incredibly sexy act of service, by the way. Yes. Yeah. So I think that one holds. No, that's that's a good one. Yeah. And then physical touch is kind of a given. Yeah. In there. All right. So I, yeah. I think that the five like love it. languages translate to the five lust languages just fine. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> I also love how much time we spent on that. That was just right. okay. So yeah. So that was really fun. So what about what about synthesis for you? Well, <laughs> I was poking around the Five Love Languages website, and there are quizzes for your kids as well. Oh, cool. Um, and they're yeah, they're broken up by age groups, mm-hmm. and I have two children, one, and they're in two different age groups. Mm-hmm. So. 
I want to dig into that with them and kind of see what I can find out because I have some ideas mm-hmm. about what their love languages are, but I would I would be really interested to see what information the quiz spits out because that's always fun. Cool. Okay, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, what's your favorite part of love languages? Well, my favorite part. And not to toot my own horn is I feel like this is a framework that I took to like a duck to water. Like I was introduced to it and I just got it right away. Mm -hmm. And that is such a gift. (laughs) Like that (laughs) is such a huge thing when you can be introduced to a concept and just feel like, yes, I get this and I can start applying this. And it has really shaped how I think about my relationships with all of the people who are closest to me. Yeah. Yeah. The application is probably my favorite part too, but also discussing it and trying to peel apart the nuances and the layers and how would you categorize this? And what about that? Like, I Mm -hmm. love the discussion around it when multiple people share a framework and then they can, you know, examine it together. It's definitely my favorite part. (laughs) Any spontaneous orgasm for you around love languages? Sort of. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a halfway spontaneous orgasm. So I was introduced to this framework a long time ago. I've taken the quizzes several times. But I think the thing that really got got me there in terms of spontaneous orgasm was beginners minding my own business. <laughs> um, I've talked about beginners mind, you know, using the beginner's mind mm-hmm. before beginners minding the fuck out of things. And I think I talked about this a little bit with psyche where I tend to take quizzes as I wish I were uh-huh. and not so much as how I actually am because that self-knowledge piece can be really uh, difficult and not so much fun. So the first time I took the love languages quiz, I was really struggling to keep up with some changes in my relationship dynamics and also in my relationship with myself <laughs> and the grief and fear associated with that really fucked with my data. Oh, yeah. It. That'll mess up any <laughs> any data set. Like grief and fear will fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. So going back, going back now and just kind of like letting go of all of my expectations about partners and friends and love and answering as honestly as I could, you know, right now Mm -hmm. with the sense of self that I have right now based on my knowledge was really enlightening and sort of oddly empowering. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, Self-knowledge is scary sometimes, but it's also really excellent because if you're using corrupted data, I mean, (laughs) your results are going to be shitty. Yeah. So honesty, it's good policy. Mm -hmm. Any spontaneous orgasm on your end? Well, I had been thinking about human growth and development, change and lifelong learning. And Ah, then ah, you brought ah, up ah, the five lust languages and that was definitely my spontaneous orgasm because that's just how I roll <laughs> I love it that was so much I love fun. that that's how you roll I that love was it. fun so <laughs> I picked this topic it is your turn to pick the next so get me ready for some anticipation what are we going to talk about next time well well I did some poking around into topic ideas, but you were the one who decided that our next 
orgasm should be another three-way mm-hmm. based on the topic at hand. I thought it would be a lot of fun to talk about podcasting. Yeah. And you asked a very, very special guest to come hang out with us to get orgasmic about podcasting. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's what we're looking forward to. Okay. Next week. Are we going to keep our special guest a secret? Or are we going to tell people? Oh, like they don't know who it is. <laughs> the voice that launched a thousand podcasts. <laughs> Story free to herself. Long may she wave. (laughs) (laughs) The notorious Lonnie Diane Rich is going to be joining us on our next orgasm as we talk about podcasting. Yeah, and I wonder if podcasting is one of her love languages. So that that will be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it might be. Spoiler alert. I think Lonnie's kind of into podcasting. I think she's kind of into podcasting. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) all right that's it for today to connect with us on twitter and instagram if you like pretty pictures follow me at noella loud and kelly at dr kelly jones and use the hashtag orgasm you can also go a little deeper by visiting the chipperish forums go to chipperish.com click on forum and join in the discussion like all chipperish media podcast orgasm is 100 percent patron supported just a dollar a month or more gets you access to the live chat and discord where you can hang out with me and noel and all the chipperish patrons and gain access to exclusive patron content visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more yeah definitely support us on patreon if you are not yes please a patron already we really 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 want you to come hang out with us and it's a lot of fun we'll make it worth your while if you are already a patron thank you we love you thank you if you don't have any bones to throw our way at this time we totally understand if you would like to support us for no dollars you could please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. That is probably the best way to support the show and help other people find us. And of course, we really appreciate you telling your friends, tweeting about us, all of the good things. Explosive inspiration is amazing, needs to be shared as far and wide as possible. (laughs) We will be back next time to talk about the joy of podcasting. Until then, we'll leave you with the words of Glennon Doyle, who said, The only meaningful thing we can offer each other is love. Not advice, not questions about our choices, not suggestions for the future, just love.